So, uh, what did you? I want to. I want to talk about what just happened. What just happened? Yeah, yeah. All right. You yeah. mean like like just now? This last very like, like 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 these last two days. Maybe I I guess we have to start out by explaining it a little bit. Mm. Basically, me and you did this workshop with uh, Ensemble Daniente in Chicago. We brought in sketches. They played through the sketches, and now we write a piece for them. Apparently, that's the yeah. plan. Yeah. yeah. How did you think it went down? I always feel terrible after sketches don't work. You feel that your sketches didn't work. That's yeah. Interesting. yeah I really did. I really right. did. Because yeah. I, I actually felt that your session was one of the most um, workshop-like, like where you actually had a chance to explore or, or kind of, I don't know, witness your material react to being played. Yeah, what was going on in my head was, I have to somehow make this stop bombing. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Because you were, you were in performance mode to some, to some extent. Yeah, well, you know, it's like when it's just me and a player or me and an ensemble, but as soon as other people are in the room... It becomes this is who I this is how good I am. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And when you're writing it, you can't take that risk, or you or that you have to take the risk rather. You have to do something that you don't know what's going to happen. Especially if it's a workshop, it's a great opportunity to do that. Right, to fail. Yeah, yeah, to fail. But once you plan on something working and it doesn't work, it feels so bad. I guess so, but I mean, we, we definitely need to empathize. I have the the. Um... The plan to fail, like I like, I'm hoping that I'll bring things that won't work, and then I'll have the clarity of mind in the session to to tweak certain things and then try them again. But what definitely goes, like leaves me, is is that clarity. Like I do feel rushed inside inside. It's not not because anyone's rushing me, but I didn't feel bad about this session in any way. But I did feel that I couldn't. But focus. yours your, yours went a lot better than mine. Part of me kind of wants to play that MP3s a little bit on this thing. Yeah, okay. just 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 so they can hear the fuck up or what I perceive to be a fuck up or what's... what did you perceive to be a fuck up in yours? Well, I mean, mine was. Well, I mean, let's talk about. I mean, let's talk about yours first. And this is why I thought yours yours worked well because this is your second time around with this idea true and actually it's good that i was there for the first time because mm. i did see the ideas that you were playing with the first time with the vibrating eggs and amplification and you know i i saw the idea in it and i re and i respected what you were trying to do and it was there enough that i could understand what you were trying to do with the sound but i also saw it logistically not work right uh in Graz, and now this is your second time trying the same idea in another workshop actually right. yeah, yeah yeah and the logistics of it are uh, a lot more clear and because of that the music works better you know and the sounds are a little bit more well thought out and concrete mm. um this is my first time running through it right so all i got from this and this was an important thing to get was okay now i really know what doesn't work but now i, ha I still have to figure out what works and you can't just say that didn't work i'll do something else I feel like I need like another two or three more workshops right. um, before, yeah, you know, I can make it into something. Yeah, even though normally, uh, or in, in many circumstances, you don't have even one workshop, right? Yeah, it's just write us a piece. And that's horrible incentive-wise, because maybe you can write three pieces a year. All of them hypothetical. Yeah, you know, well, all of them hypothetical until they reach reality, right. you know? That's right, I mean... And then, and, the, and then the reality is the thing, and you want that to be good because you let's say you write three pieces all three of them are hypothetical even if you're good let's i think that like two out of the three are probably not going to be very good if you're trying new stuff and they're hypothetical right if, you, if you're actually trying that's your stuff, i mean okay. yeah that was your year like 66 <laughs> percent. that's right yeah 66 percent failure yeah you know that sucks to walk around with that 
So it's easier just to do stuff that you know that works. Like, I don't know, study a Chirino score. Mm-hmm. Or um, just or just to kind of improve the piece that you just finished. Yeah. Which yeah. is, a, yeah, it's... Yeah. Which took three failure pieces before that to get it in a situation where you thought it was good. Right. It's just to do that so you have a little bit of success. I'm not even saying commercial success, but success where you can say, I went out to do something. I did it. Whether or not people liked it or not. It came it's out what like I, I wanted. It. Yeah. yeah. This, this is the piece I wanted to write. Yeah. I mean, what do you think about about this issue. Yeah, about this issue. It's I mean it's it's a it's a big issue for us. I mean we had this conversation earlier, mm. but and something I actually talked to Hans about <laughs> is uh I actually talked to him about stand up comedians and how I envy them and how they and how they work. Right. And because they're constantly testing it and they can do that, but we can't do that. I but I think I think that maybe I, for, well, for sure we cannot do it all the time, but I think that we can I I'd like to think that we can pursue uh, relationships and, and collaborations that are that are kind of based around that concept. Obviously, logistically, it always turns out to be much harder. Like, like I've, I've I've started this this relationship with the guys from Unoya uh, Ensemble. When I when the idea of writing for them first first came about, I I told them that that obviously I would do it anyway. But the, the, the way that we have most potential to be good was if if we actually did some sort of iterative process where where I'd be able where we would be able to to produce sketches, rehearse them almost to completion, record them, and then go back to the drawing board like two or three times. And I presented this plan to them where we would actually do this like two or three times. And then when we started doing calendars, even though we had, I don't know, eight months or something till till they wanted to premiere, it turned out that we could do this once. And that's, that's it. That's nothing. Well, but it is so much more than zero because I actually, I was able to, to write kind of intensely for a couple of months, but with it, you write differently when you know you're not writing an end product yeah because then you're actually putting uh, like actually writing in tests you you know that this is a laboratory yeah, thing yeah and then i sent it out to them they they rehearsed it properly so it was not a reading and that's important because i think that there's a lot of things that you learn from readings that maybe you're learning you're learning the wrong lesson from the reading well, yeah, like you're yeah. correcting things that it's not you i mean they don't need correcting they just need rehearsing yeah i actually have a friend who does a lot of orchestral music and it was amazing. He said that it took him years before he realized that he wasn't the problem <laughs> because it was our, the orchestra right. that wasn't that just wasn't giving a shit. Or, or just not being, I mean, logistically it being impossible. I mean, an orchestra, that's the thing about yeah. an orchestra. I mean, how yeah. is an orchestra going to really rehearse or, or own a piece, you know, like get it to the point where they're actually performing it and not just kind of surviving it? Yeah. The logistics of it is just impossible. Absolutely. You know, yeah. but yeah, uh, the logistics of... I keep on bringing it to stand up, but it's you, your microphone, whatever you have scribbled down on the napkin, and the crowd's already, you know, the crowd's already there. Well, they know yeah. the ritual, and they they go to that place expecting yeah. a range of stuff. Do you think there could ever be a forum where something like that would be possible for us? I don't know, and 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 part of the problem I think is 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 um that it's not only the circumstances of say stand up comedy and, and the possibility to develop that, but the fact that it's language based means that we have a, a, like an, an inbuilt system for, for checking this. I mean, it's a system that we've honed for years to, where, we, where we know how to qualify the uh, effectiveness of what we're saying and, and to read the reaction of the people to what we're telling them at, at, in a minute way. I mean, we can tell from, from how much you, in microseconds, delayed 
your facial reaction to what I said, I, I know that that's different from this other reaction and so on. And and for the music that we're writing, we have nothing near that. I mean, yeah, I mean, sometimes I feel in such a way where I'm like, that wasn't even a complete sentence, you know, mm -hmm, yeah. like it wasn't even, I don't, I'm not even getting the grammar of this right. Yeah, but I don't know? even know if it's, am I missing something in the middle or is it the beginning of a sentence or... Yeah, like not even the metaphor between, like the analogy of between language and music, really carries through. But you can still workshop it day after day and improve it day after day if you had a medium to do that. If there's a fixed kind of ritual that people went to, and we're like, hey, let's listen to this guy work on his new set of sounds, mm -hmm. you know. But the thing is that there's there's a, there's an extra aspect. I mean, there's there's two things being tested on that situation. One of them is whatever was composed. But on the other hand, is the performance of that thing that was composed, which is not the case in in the in the comedian com yeah, comparison. Yeah. Well, I mean, they do think about the performance, but it's mostly but it's about, the same person. Yeah, it's coming from the brain to the to the mouth that belongs to that brain. This is a question of interpretation, where you could be like, I just need better interpreters, or maybe you don't know that the, the interpreters are the problem. No, not even better. I mean, let's let's assume that they're good. Like these guys are great. Like, yeah, like, like that is assumed that they're already in in the plan. But then, how many times? Uh, perform not even not only rehearsing these that's that let's assume that they're rehearsing is how many times do they need to play this in concert for it to get to its prime level like for i don't think i've experienced any of my pieces at their prime level yet because i don't i don't like i mean i've been in bands my whole life and i know how how many times performing a piece or a song it takes for it to reach the level where it actually cracks you know where, where, it, where, it, where it does kill and i don't think i've experienced that with any of my pieces because i think that you know my piece that has been performed the most has been performed what five times and that's not enough i mean you know what i'm saying like most pieces get performed once and i think that that extra bit that is gained in those repeated performances is is what's gonna so it, it's coming from two sides it's our ability to develop that piece till it's as written ready but on the other side is how many times does it need to be performed to be per performing wise ready as well yeah you know so they know it and there's an instinct to it there's so many things about how everything is put together and organized including like being asked to write a piece and then it gets performed three times and that's it you know if you're lucky yeah if yeah yeah if you're lucky that's that's a good one that's because new music ensembles are always exactly that mm -hmm. it's like premieres you yeah, know that's right they do premieres these festivals are put together based on new pieces right. and premieres are for premieres yeah, as yeah. well uh, there's no niche for new music that was written three years ago that's being continually performed throughout the year. Right, like further it, fun, funds and opportunities it, for further performances. Yeah, yeah, and even if there was a niche for that, it would have to be more than a niche. It would have to be a huge thing because when you're doing a premiere, you're just like pushing people through, pushing people through, pushing people through. Mm -hmm. But if you're actually dedicating the ensemble to, I don't know, 10 works, then the actual room for composers to have an opportunity to get anything done at all mm -hmm. is much less than an ensemble that's saying we're going to do 15 premieres a year. Right. It's just a problem. I feel. And, and yeah. And I, I don't, I mean, if, if it just if, prevents us from getting, from being awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's how it works. That's how people work. Absolutely. That's how people get good at stuff. Well, that's how stuff gets to the point of being able to, to be seductive in the real sense. Yeah. It needs to be polished and lubricated through, contextual practice you know so i don't know what so let's let's assume that we don't have uh i mean we could we could discuss how these things could be 
changed in terms of logistic and management and stuff. But I mean, that's not what we trained for, right? So, so it, this being the situation, what can we do, you know, on our desk as composers? You can't get good hypothetically in your head. You can't I, I, get awesome that way. You can't you, get awesome. You, yeah. You can get better, but never, never reach awesomeness. You know, it's a very low glass ceiling, that approach, I think. I mean, I can't do that. That's not how I work. That's not how I get better. And I've definitely tried that way because it's the only, you know... It's the only available way. Yeah, it's the only one I can afford. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only one the system can afford. That's part yeah. of the thing. It's not only yes. just you, it's, it's the whole thing. I mean, that's essentially probably what it boils down to is that God bless Hans Tamann and Lucas Feltz because they had enough leverage in this business to get some money together, yeah. you know, and they cared enough about people younger than them. And they, and they, and they saw probably the same problem they're talking about, you know, probably they were talking about it in a very different way. I'm sure that's the but, reason that the, where this yeah. has two faces rather than just being a, yeah. uh, you know, a write a piece for the festival kind of thing. Yeah. And and I th and I do think that it, I mean even though I don't know how many times it takes for for it to be enough maybe that is not the question but it's definitely the case that the more steps you add the more iterations you add to the process even if it's one one is incredibly better than none and two is is incredibly better than one and so on I mean I think it's I think it's probably who knows what the curve is there what I'm saying is that the circumstances that we're in now with this particular project are infinitely better than the commission where you just send the piece to be rehearsed. I felt, I honestly feel like this was like, yes, it was infinitely better than one, but I'm not ready to write the piece yet. I still have so much more questions. Um, questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tests. That's like one tenth or something like mm -hmm. that, you know? And if they were like, okay, come back next week, right. I'd, you know, I'd work my ass off for a week, you know, I'd come back with a lot changed. And then maybe if I did that eight more times, I, I could be like, oh, okay, let's, I know exactly what I'm doing now. Well, do you think there's, there's going to be a space for doing a little bit of that to a lesser extent on the next phase? You mean at Darmstadt? Mm -hmm. But you only have, it's only, it's, it's so much time before the performance. And, yeah. and like they said, they do need to interpret it. So right. at some point it's not fair to make huge shifts. I mean, <laughs> you can tweak it a little bit. Right. Basically I got all the players emails and. I'm going to send them sketches and then I'm going to ask them to, and they're going to record it for me or we're going to do a Skype session, which okay. is not ideal. And then I'm just going to have a bank of sounds to draw upon, but you still don't really know about blending and how an ensemble works together. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, that's a different type of solid sonic reality. I mean, you know, waves are waves of sound are interfering with each other in ways you can't imagine mm -hmm. if you're just kind of overlapping solo lines in garage band. Right. Yeah. In that problem, are you more concerned with like, what do you think is a bigger problem for you in terms of hypothesizing like thinking of, of that verticality and and sort of um the, the building of complex sounds or, or more like the horizontal memory based thing like like form it's vertical for me it's all about how to voice things mm. it's all about um, that's where you find the problem like the that's, half a second you know sound envelope that needs to uh that needs to happen at that moment that's the one thing that you think that you would use these workshops most yeah right. yeah and as far as putting a large scale form together <clears throat> I'm not saying that also doesn't need work, but that's not what um, I'm looking for that immediate visceral thing that hits the person at that second in time that's going to bring them in for the long term. And that to me is incredibly delicate. And if something is just like a little bit off, then, you know, it turns into, you know, a trombone going wah, 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 sure. instead, of, instead yeah. of something that's amazing. No, but you're talking about what is more important for you musically. What I'm saying is what do you think is most 
useful in the sessions for you. Yeah, it's the right. same answer then. Right. How do you try out a large scale form in a workshop? Well, that, that's I don't know in a workshop, but but like um in term like in this other project that I mentioned earlier, what I what I found myself testing most was was more like the relationship between sections and durations at at, at several different levels. Um, like I think maybe, maybe because I, I think I can predict better the vertical than I can predict the horizontal. Strangely, I can think more clearly, and I think I I score higher in accuracy in the vertical. I'm not saying that I mess up. I mess up constantly, but but I feel that I I get closer to that and and miss more catastrophically in the horizontal. And a lot of my revisions post premieres tend to be with scissors on the form. It's too long. I go the opposite way. Normally, it's too compressed. Really, and I need to 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 give space and air and 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 repeat things and yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Even when it's long, it's still like it's too dense horizontally. Yeah. At the end, it is an ability, and 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 it, I mean, you've played an instrument, and you've gotten good at playing an instrument at some point in your life. Now. Yeah, and you know how many hours of of repetition with with instant clear feedback of the result it ne you needed to get to the point where you could play how do we deliver you know you know the, all these theories about deliberate practice and all this ericsson stuff all that research regarding the aquarium uh, how do you how do you become an expert at something so that the, they, they speak about deliberate practice as the specific kind of practice where you were working at improving how do we practice composition in that sense I don't know the answer. Uh, I don't think there is an answer because there's no financial reality that will accommodate it. Mm. You know, I can't think of a world where people can support themselves. You know, well, and not only support themselves, but it, like each composer would need a, an ensemble in his basement. Is that, I mean, would that be <laughs> that be would that be the situation where things would be ideal? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that sounds a little. Egomaniacal. Of you course, know? that makes no sense. And illegal, I mean, probably. I can see like the police <laughs> coming in and being like, "Why did did you kidnap? What are all these people doing here? Did you kidnap Don Leante and you're like holding them in their basement? It's like Silence of the Lambs, but I low I lower like music in instead of like like the cream. Okay, let's focus on you a little bit. I mean, just 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 give me a little bit of background so I can poke around a little bit and people get to know what you're about a little bit more. All right. Well, I was born in Costa Rica, and um, I left in 1999 to study composition in Miami, where I was for three years doing an undergraduate. And you only did it in three, and only takes four. I tested out of a bunch of things. I had, I, I mean, when I moved out, I was 21 or something, or 22. Did so I had been studying and doing music for for my whole life. What kind of access do you have to contemporary music in Costa Rica? Was it even contemporary music at that point? It was uh, somewhat. It was. I, I think things have changed since because a, a bunch of us have left um, since since my generation a little bit before and a little bit after. So now it's better than than it was when I was there. But I did have an idea of the more what is uh, known things like like you know I was aware of Ligeti and I had seen a few scores and. Who were your guys in Costa Rica? Like who, who who did you buy records of and listen to? I don't think who, I, who did you who did you want to be? Records, that was not a possibility. Uh, it was mostly like finding, you know, copying someone from someone who had copied it from someone. Or access to scores was was very very limited. I can't even remember if I had seen a lot of. Like I remember seeing some. No, that not even that. I was gonna say stuff like Goodbye Dolina, but I think I even that kind of stuff I saw it only once I had left. 
all my work while I was in Costa Rica was in, in I'm a bass player and I was I've, I've been playing bass since I can remember and I and I had a band which was essentially rock but it was just as experimental as we could make it as teenagers what it was was a, a good laboratory for us to play with sound in a very pure sense but obviously yeah from from a totally unaware of what's going on in the rest of the world perspective which has its healthy side that's what college is for you know? i guess so yeah well I, I, that's where i started becoming aware of all these things so kind of late in my career um, how old are you you weren't that you couldn't have been that old that's not late um i was tw i was 23 when i left so pretty old i'd say i mean what i had studied until then was all the things related to like harmony and theory and orchestration and all this stuff i had done but all like things related to for example extended techniques was something that was um i was not aware of all that stuff and i only became acquainted that of that once i left and started uh studying Where was this? This was University of Miami or? This was Florida International University, which was okay. Um, what it had was, it was small enough. So like I had a chance to write a lot and get a lot of my music rehearsed and performed by my peers. So it was, in that sense, it was intense. And it was, I mean, evidently I changed a lot over those three years because of that and, f and found a lot of music and, and, and got to know a lot of things and got to test them in my own sort of, what I thought was, my way which i think would have been the case if i had gone to a more competitive place so it was an okay place to arrive being so green unripe yeah you know but i always feel especially at that age nobody's legit at 23 you can't not. but if you have you the have illusion be... of, of of legitness <laughs> at least you can navigate yourself into into some sort of reality later or so i mean oh really you, you think that delusion pays off at some point well no, like, not in like all if, cases if, if, you, if you believe it hard enough And then you approach people and you have that confidence, then eventually that will become your reality. That no, people I don't think will so. be like, hey, this I, is the guy. I think you have to lose and fail uh, painfully a few times before that happens. Yeah, that's what I mean. And, and the earlier you lose and fail, the best for you, I guess. No, but you know, I think that I had an idea of a, of a, of a like, like I'm thinking that what was in my head at the time was like the very late Coltrane and stuff like that. Okay. So I did have an idea of, of, of extreme dissonance and, and noise-based stuff, but I didn't know about the organized composition of that music. I understood it more from a performative sort of sense and, and not, not instruction-based in any way. I can, I can also make this sound. Right. Is basically what, you, exactly. what you're saying. And, but... and I can make sounds in this way and, and, and make a piece of music that makes sense, at least to my understanding of the time. Yeah. You were 23. That was the definition of your greenness. And then you lived in Boston. And then I moved to Boston and I did a master's there. And the thing, when I was in Boston, I found it, it was more traditional. Were you doing stuff like you were doing now in Boston? An early versions of that, yeah. Some time has passed since, you know. I mean, that was uh, eight years ago. Um, did you feel you fit in now? No, no, I, I didn't. I mean, I, I somewhat, and I have good friends that, I, that I'm still in touch and collaborate to some extent. But no, I, I didn't feel like I had a... A lot of people that were writing what like I was writing. What did that university reward? That university and the city itself, what I think made a big difference for me was um, that I became acquainted with a completely new level of performance that I didn't know exist for me. Technically, the performers were good. They were, yeah. To my, to my knowledge of the time, they were beyond amazing. Okay. I mean, it was a, a totally new level for me. So I could hear the music that I was trying to write at a completely different level of performance, which obviously boosted my confidence in a, in a, but I mean, I'm meaning aesthetically in, in the composition department, 
um, what did they place value on and what did they dismiss every department does that to some degree and it's, imp- it's in a way it's impossible not to because you have humans teaching it you know i didn't feel a pressure of that kind my my teacher the first year was was lucas foss in in in, in at a very old age but one of the things that lucas had throughout his career if you see it is that he was super eclectic some say almost too eclectic you know like he has too many faces with a p and an h yeah uh, he had like a like an electronic phase and a minimalist phase and an, and an extreme complexity phase and a neoclassical phase like so it, i don't know what that says about a composer and i guess that's not what we're talking about but as a teacher he was he didn't place a value or, or, or qualify things in, in terms of genre or style he was worried about pure music content and sense so there was never any pressure for things to be different from what I was trying to do or to be more extreme or less extreme or more something. And let me clarify, I'm not talking about pressure from teachers, you should write like this, but there's always an atmosphere that's created. I don't know I don't know how to judge that personally. And I think I was talking with my wife about this the other day. I've always feel I've always felt um I'm always in a position where I don't fit in. Like I remember when I was a kid and my parents had me and my brother in tennis lessons. Like since I was four, I played tennis and I always felt either I was too poor for the kids that I was playing tennis with or too rich for the kids that I was playing, playing tennis with. I was never at the same level. And at at that age, I'm talking like eight or nine years old. It was a a social class thing. Like I I could never find my, even with my classmates, I was either too rich for this group of guys or too poor for this group of guys. And and in terms of music, I've always also felt that if I'm in this place, I feel that I'm too traditional for these guys. If I'm in this place, I feel that I'm not traditional enough for this group. So I'm, I'm what, what that has experienced in that or feel that feeling throughout my life means that I kind of don't pay attention to it too much anymore. And I think that that was the case in, in Boston. What, what, I, what I'm trying to say is that I'm aware of that feeling, but I am so used to it that I just classify it as paranoia. And disregard it and live with it like don't don't pay too much attention to it it's still a chronic condition though yeah i mean i feel like i have that same thing depending on how a piece is received at a concert i was like oh that was too traditional for mm-hmm. them and then i'll go to another place and then was like oh well they thought i was the other guy yeah. you know and the, i'm like the irresponsible yeah. guy writing crazy shit just yeah. just because yeah with yeah. the same piece yeah, 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 it did, and it you did, feel it yeah. genuinely. That's what I mean. And, and and just going in that zigzag and that alternation, just I I end up disregarding it, like it's not a new experience. Like oh damn, too traditional. No, it's more like there it is, my paranoia. At some point though, you have to care about what how people are taking in what you're doing. Yeah, but not in terms of of that pressure. Not in terms of of genre or tra- or traditional versus uh, innovative. That is so pervasive that it becomes it's just a layer that is there. But you do want to communicate with the people who's who are listening to your yeah, who's listening well, to your music, and if the people who are doing that are either saying it's this and I don't like it, or it's that and I don't like it, then it must seem a little bit futile sometimes. It does, but I mean, in in that we we would be assuming, which is not totally wrong, that the only audience we have is is our colleagues and our peers. I think that's basically what I'm hitting at here: is that maybe the way you feel this way, because at no point does it actually reach people who are corrupted and feel like they need to take sides by the scene that we're in. Well, that's, that's right. And, and I don't enjoy that too much. Um, like I, I, I mean, there's, there's some colleagues that I have a collegial relationship with and a, and a, and a friendly relationship with like you or, or like Santiago, for example, that we, we can show each other stuff and I don't feel that I have to tell you that I liked it or I don't feel I had to tell you that I didn't like if I was choosing teams 
you know like like i don't have to judge what team do you belong to for me to say that i like it or not like it's not a political assessment but in the most cases i do feel that those conversations are charged with that empty political context so i end up not engaging you end up not engaging or you end up being well i guess your childhood prepared you for that yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> when i was in darmstadt last year i felt that i was too traditional for it you felt like you were too traditional for darmstadt well i was programmed in a concert that emphasized that even further and i mean traditional in a very specific sense the, the concert that was that i was in was a by a a pretty cool Norwegian ensemble who specializes in music that is much wackier than the music I write. Like I don't do comedy in my music. You know? Oh, this. Oh, oh, th this. This was wacky in the sense of. Yeah, there's funny stuff, or there is um, shocking stuff, con conceptually shocking stuff. I'm not into that. I'm not against it, but I'm not into that. And that kind of music, when there's that kind of music in a program, it changes the tone of the concert and the expectations of the rest of the pieces. So I'm not saying that that made my piece, my piece bomb or kill or anything. I'm not qualifying how it went. But in general, I felt that I was um, more, yeah, more traditional and more serious and more pitch-based. Wow. When in many cases, I feel that I'm not pitch-based enough. So it's that same thing that I was talking about, being the poor or the rich kid in the tennis club. Yeah, all over again. And forever. And forever. Unless something, well, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah, like what's going to happen? Well, I don't know. I mean, like there's got there's got to be some breaking point to this weird, you know, political side taking, right? Does it just <laughs> go on and on and on and on in relationship to actually how people operate? It's a false perception of reality. It is because, I mean, if that is what reality is for, it's kind of not worth it. Yeah. You know, if I'm only writing for my peers... Yeah. then it, it is pretty pointless. And I know that the reality is that most of the people that listen to the music that we write are ourselves. But but we need to exist uh, with the delusion that that is not always going to be the case. How did you get into these techniques that you use? I don't know how to answer that question. How do you get into the techniques that you use? I experimented. There were things that I liked more than the other things that happened or more than the other things that I straight up hated and never decided to use again. Mm-hmm. I grabbed onto them and then, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that I refined them and shape them to a point that I can, you know, put my stamp on them. It's, you know, it's probably a combination of that. And, you know, in my case, listening to a lot of composer scores that I fell in love with and straight up studying with them. It's a combination of guessing, getting lucky or straight up stealing. I do believe in stealing a lot in that sense. And, but I, I, okay, I'll try to answer then. I, I think that it started with precisely finding scores. And, and looking at how amazing things looked written, my first experiences with looking at this music, which I had not seen before, had heard. You really got caught up in the graphic notation aspect of it. At some at some point, yeah, definitely. And I, and I still have an attraction to the graphic aspect of not so much of the score or of the score, but of the process. The process writer. of putting it together? Or the, the, process, the process of, of design of the piece. Okay. Yeah. I think that now, obviously, there is all these things that I've learned and stolen over time and, and in terms of individual techniques and sounds and approaches, you know, ways to articulate and ways to sustain and so on. I think that the way I, I think of them now and the way I decide what I want at this point has to do with building sound objects that are complex in the sense that they're made of different sound objects. <laughs> And, and I think that I, I like to hide the ensemble. I like to hide the constitution of the ensemble in sound. That if you hear this moment, you cannot exactly take it, uh, decide what's in that ensemble. You know what I mean? You can't tell what the instruments are that are playing. Not necessarily. Not, yeah, exactly. Not, not, and I don't mean to say that I'm 
even though I just said that I'm hiding the instruments, at some point it does become apparent. But through the piece, you can never completely decide what the exact ensemble is. Like, you know, yeah, okay, there is a violin, there's a viola, and there's a percussion instrument. Yeah, at no point does it become people's concept of what a string quartet is. Yeah. Th- though perhaps in the case of a string quartet, it's, it's a little bit more evident because of its how homogenous it is. But yeah, sure, like maybe maybe it could be a trio and we wouldn't know. I like that illusion of, of the ensemble being smaller or bigger than you'd imagine. I work a lot from audio recordings to create my sound objects. And these audio uh, extracts are, are pro- things that I've mashed together and processed and whatever. And so the, they're constituted by things that I, don't, that I can no longer identify. They're, they're abstract sound objects without a defined source in m- many cases. So I have to rebuild them. Like I have to resynthesize them with instruments. So, you know, this, each of the constituencies of that sound need to be allocated to the orchestra that I'm working with. And sometimes that, that means having to come up with or steal a particular technique for each instrument or whatever.
do you always have to be there for these performances? Uh, Are you have have you ever not been there and it's worked the way you wanted to by just them looking at the score? In the last three or four years, I've gone to everything. Uh, I guess because I learned that I needed to. Do you think there'll ever become a, a day when you don't have to do that okay. and your work can survive without you being on the job site tweaking everything to make sure what it is? I mean, I've thought about that obviously, like like the score being uh, infallible. Yeah, you can notate it to the point where if they're not doing it correctly, then it's their fault and not uh, an ambiguity. Yeah, that you haven't that you haven't thought of. Right. No, I I think that maybe at maybe at this point that is not a concern. Like I'll just go to as many as I can, and 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 if I don't, I'm assuming the risk of you know my, it's not like I have a hundred performances a year, so I can kind of afford to go and and prepare each of these performances. And yeah. I think that that's what I need to be doing at this moment. And aside from that, that is the pleasure of this profession that that we've chosen i think i mean among solid sacrifices and pains the, the most enriching part of it is precisely this what we were doing yesterday and today and the rehearsals and, and the performance itself that that's what it's all for i mean when i'm in my desk i do have some moments of fun but for the most part is is just hard work it's not exactly i mean i'd rather watch tv a lot of the time that's what's in my head like I'd rather be watching TV. Really? And then I keep myself from watching TV, but I know that if I didn't have discipline, I'd just be watching TV like I'd prefer it. For me, it's almost it's almost the opposite sometimes. When I'm forced to deal with something like what just happened now, mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure it's not nearly as bad as it was in reality as it was in my head, but I'm forced to deal with the fact that I, you know, that I tried something and, you know, and it didn't work. It's still hard for me to not have that bother me. Now, if I did it more often, we were talking about this, going back to this workshop idea, mm -hmm. I'm sure I could be like, yeah, this is part of the game. Because it's, since, each since session is yeah, less yeah, precious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But mm -hmm. since there's so few and far between, I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm super hyper aware of the moment. Mm -hmm. And then if something goes wrong, it's catastrophic, right. even if it's not really catastrophic. Right. Or I'm assuming it's not catastrophic. Maybe it was. It's hard for me to, it's hard for me to tell sometimes. But I'm, I'm, I'm always extremely... I guess leading up to the moment is exciting, but mm -hmm. then, you know, and, and then during the moment you're so caught up in it that you're not paying attention to how you feel. You're just trying to, you know, deal with the situation. Right. But then, but then afterwards you're like, well, I never feel triumphant. <laughs> I never feel, I never feel like I did it. Yeah. No, I, I, no, I guess not. Uh, but I was, but, but you're, you're absolutely engaged and, and fully focused like a tennis player at a yeah, game th those... regardless of if you're winning or losing and th and that i guess that's what i'm talking about like it like it does take me a while to reach that point uh while writing each piece i do get there obviously and that's why i'm able to to eventually write them but each time it is it is a, a, a fight against the uh the temptation of just eating and watching movies the pressure of procrastination is always there it's always easier to not do anything evidently i mean i'm not saying anything new But the part of the motivation to put that work in is the possibility of of realizing it and testing it and and experimented with it in 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 a session. I mean, like like the idea of spending uh, half a year on a piece, sending the score, and then getting a record back at the end is much less fulfilling. I think. How do you think your thing went today? I think I think it went all right. I agree with what, with what you said earlier that I'm closer to having achieved some of those moments and i also i think i learned a couple of things about I've, i've been worried a lot lately about clarity in in my music about about 
not and I don't mean ma making things obvious, but making them more. It's a matter of pacing and space and patience that I seem to that that seems to be lacking in, in at times in my music, uh, and and that's what I was talking about worrying about the horizontal earlier. Like I I feel that a lot of in this particular piece I think that horizontally for the most part is working. Like all the sonorities are right where I want them. Uh, obviously, I had a chance to, to work with a recording of that session from February already. I mean, that that, that helped a lot. Um, and a lot of things changed vertically since that session, as well as horizontally to some extent. But I feel that in order for it to be uh, digestible by a, by a human brain, and even in order for the ensemble to be able to perform it in a fluent way, for them to also understand where where are they in the piece, time needs to move in a different way. Pacing needs to shift and, and mostly it has to do with adjusting the level of detail in certain aspects so that it matches, like the hierarchy of the composition matches the hierarchy of its of its perceptual value. How are you going to fix it? Just, just stretching things out more in time? Uh, to some extent. I, I don't want to stretch it too much because a lot of the character of that first section, uh, for example, is that sort of uh, that hesitant roughness of sound which is, I think, necessary to move us on to what follows after, which is the more harmonically clear stuff. Let's talk about what your life is like now in Manchester. Mm. What do you do? I mean, I kind of already know what you do there, but, you know, just for the sake of the recording. I've moved to Manchester to do a PhD. The background of that is that I left the States running, running away from the automatic entrance into a PhD after my master's. When I saw all my colleagues going into PhDs, at some, I was kind of going the same route, and so I hesitated, and decided that I was not going to do that yet. Like move into that, like like I did. I don't know. I, I ran away. I also met my wife at the time, and that and and, and it's you met all, her in Boston. I met her in Hungary while I was in Boston. So then I, I just moved out. I moved to to Europe and lived in Hungary for a year and a half, and just was independent for for that for that time, and then took the odd jobs and so on to to make a living. And then we moved to the Netherlands for a year. And then after doing that time, I realized that I needed some sort of sense of structure in order to write the music that I wanted to write. At least the illusion of an umbrella of protection of an institution. Like to know that I was in a time frame, basically. And But I didn't want to go into a course that meant taking harmony classes and dealing with projects from a composition teacher that wanted you to write such and such whatever yeah there's no there, you know there's no way you're gonna take a course on uh, how to write a Bach chorale I mean I, I think I had done that already and I didn't want to go into that half like musicology PhD where you graduate as a composer so I found that in England that existed I had never considered England until then where, where you could spend three or four years under the protection of a institution with the funding of of the institution, just writing. Why did you feel music? like you needed that structure, though? Why couldn't you just Why couldn't you just do your thing and try and get uh, on my own? Yeah, on your own and try and get performances. What was that structure giving you that made you more creative? I don't know. I think it's I think it's a almost I don't know a psychological and weird emotional thing because uh, right until then things have pretty much slowed down to a standstill. By the time I left the Netherlands and moved to England, you weren't writing any music. I was writing very little. And getting performed very little as well, and kind of lost in this nothingness. And once I moved to England and started these uh, studies, I didn't get any advantages in terms of performance from the university or from the institution or from England. But everything changed for me due to 
to the structure that that gave me. So even though the even though the university or the country or the whatever institutions there helped me in any direct way, suddenly I started doing stuff and getting pieces played and and getting more opportunities. Yeah, but I often think that outside of that structure where you came to a standstill, that's life. You know, I mean, that's real. That you know, you know, that's real life. That's not. There's no umbrella. There's no mm-hmm. uh, protection. It's you know, it's just you. And then that's when you really find out what you want to do and how you want to do it and why you want to do it. And by either you know, by either continuing to stay at an institution in academia, you're either procrastinating that dilemma, mm-hmm. or you're saying, "This is my this is my patronage." Right. Yeah. Uh, where do you see yourself going? I mean, this is this is the question that I have for myself, and I don't have an answer. And I completely sympathize with you saying, "Okay, you know what? I need a little bit of structure. Let's do a P. Let's do a PhD." You know, and and a very conceptual structure, by the way, because there's no structure to that. Yeah, PhD. yeah. No, I'm I'm not saying you need to wake up at six in the morning and do your harmony, you right. know, do your harmony homework, right. and then you know, and then do or do, do a march, you know. know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do the lock and march, and like you know, go home and go to sleep, and then wake up and do that again five days a week. You yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. But it's still a mental state that it, you're in that yeah, helps you be productive, like a container of, of time, even though a very big one, you know, four-year container or whatever. It's funny I have not been asked this this question in, in that in that direction, and I don't know what it was, but, but I, I I do find myself in a, in a more comfortable and and focused place now, with as as little as the university had to do with that directly. Apparently, things have changed since the last four years in that sense. And this is finished now. I find, well, I have a job. I teach at the college in, in Manchester, but I teach pop music. It's a different practice and it relates to very different things. It, it, it almost doesn't intersect except in some loose ways. You might as well be a roofer. Almost, almost, except for the fact that I'm surrounded by, uh, by musicians and I, am, I have access to, uh, to a good institution where I can, you know. The, the great advantage of it is that it's, it's enough that I can pay rent and, and be comfortable and that I can continue to compose. And I think that's where I am at now. And uh, I, I, I don't know where I'm going to be in three years, but I think I know that in a year I'll be doing that same thing. So now that you've found this financial stability, you know where you're going to be, it's okay to uh, kind of gently pour you out of the container to see if you're liquid or if you're jello, you know, if you'll just shake or you'll just like spill all over the place like you were before. Yeah. Do you think you could have found it without doing that and just have been, just been like, you know, it's time to be miserable for five years till I, fi- till I find something. Possibly, possibly. That probably would have wrecked your relationship though. <laughs> possibly. Yeah. <laughs> it is possible. I, I actually, I seriously do not know what in this four years tangible from, from the experience of that university led me to do what I have done over the last four years. I think very, very, very little. If anything, it it it, it would have been at a very almost deep conceptual way that I can that is not transparent to me. Did you get an education? Did you learn anything from anybody, or was it just simply uh, not you directly know, from what, the Yeah, what was it? Was it just simply a nice little incubator for you to hang in because it's warm, and then you have a little bit more time to hatch? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of a farce, then, isn't it? I mean, in many I mean, ways, it yeah, is. it's a, you know, it's a PhD. You're going to quote do uh, research and learn, but I mean, I, you know, I, I guess actually a lot of PhD institutions, especially for scientists, consider themselves like 
nice little safe areas for someone to like, you know, think things through mm. and figure it out, you know, other than protecting you and then making you feel stable. Was there any type of guidance that helped you no. uh, get from no, a no, professor? No. no, no. I mean, there were, there's, there's some colleagues and friends and there's the relationship with my supervisors and so on. But that was, no, I don't think so. I, and I think it was only the first thing that you said is that just that sort of, this is what I'm doing now. To the you know the the question what 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 are we doing I am I'm doing this it's, a, it's an easier summary at an unstable moment is that a lie that you're telling yourself in your head or is it also a lie that you can tell to people to have them not think you're a lost person who's still trying to figure out how to do this weird thing that they well it, it, it don't does, engage in it does bring uh, it, it sort of diffuses a lot of the pressures from your closer group i mean your yeah. your your parents for it example, gives you an aura and, of legitimacy of course of course i mean if if i tell my parents five years ago that i'm just gonna be writing music they wouldn't have not said no you're not gonna write music i was 31 four years ago they, there certainly would have been a, a concern and a pressure and mm -hmm. probably the same for my wife and for my close friends or whatever and i'm not saying that i did a phd for them but it's also to yourself it, it is it is all very 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 superficial and very in a direct sense, inconsequential. At the same time, it gave space for me to just sit down and write the music that I wanted to write, which there's no reason why I wouldn't have written it without being in this PhD. But in some soft way, it lubricated the way towards that possibility. Well, it's like, okay, now that I've gotten past this huge issue of what I'm doing, which is earning a PhD right now, mm -hmm. you know, now I can actually go on to the next step, which is actually doing what I want to do. Yeah, well, at, I, at this point, I feel it's easier than it would have been four years ago. Like, I don't know, maybe if I would have been in this in, at this stage in terms of relationships and collaborations and, and opportunities, I wouldn't have even seen the need for a PhD. But I wasn't there four years ago. Maybe just the rate of growth is so long for people like what we do, mm -hmm. longer than institutions are designed to do. So what we keep on doing is building these extensions. There's no really practical reason for us to do a PhD, except that, you know, we need space to do that, you know. Yeah, yeah. So we keep on building these extensions, and then some people build the postdoc. And then because they've extended it so long, it makes them qualified to, you know, kind of slip over into the other role in teaching it. Sure. And it becomes extremely cyclical. Sure. You, know? oh, you can disappear in that cycle. You know, I think that's also another, you know, path to misery and bitterness because all of a sudden you wanted to be in this incubator to stay safe and feel okay. You keep on extending it and mm -hmm. then you realize that you haven't really done anything except you've done what you want to do in your little, you know, in your little isolated world. And now you're stuck there forever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's right. Do you think you're going to do that? <laughs> no, I don't no, think that... so. I think, I think I'm conscious so, of... of I, love, I love how I was like, and then you can do this other thing that makes you really, really fucked up. Are you going to become <laughs> fucked up? Are you going to be fucked yeah, up? Yeah, Is yeah. that what you're doing? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think... I, I don't think... No, I think not. I think that, that there's enough distance in the job that I have and my profession as a composer that it's safe, that I'm safe, that I'm okay for, for, uh, for, the, for this next I stage. I mean, you, you also basically just said that you're ready to be poured out and stand alone now. You're like, okay, I have my job which is, you know, teaching pop music at this school. Mm -hmm. That'll be how I pay the rent, and then I'll do my stuff. So you've already found an equilibrium outside of that university that will allow you to, I don't know, be happy, I guess. Or, or, exactly. or, yeah. or, or at least that's now another place where you can 
feel there's enough balance for you to still be able to grow as an artist exactly yeah. to, to to be to be satisfied and 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 to have enough comfort but at the same time enough pressure to try and continue to build relationships with with performers and ensembles enough to kind of populate enough into the future over the last few years i think i've got that and that keeps me satisfied and reduces the variety of my neuroses you know you know what i mean like oh like, yeah 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 like what am what am i going to do what am well, i doing what am i doing yeah, well, so, where it's like you know i'm meeting people who want to work with me again and somehow it's going to pan out cuz those relationships aren't fading that's you right. Know, like yeah. I don't know if like, like the last it, it wasn't. And so, ago so that sooner I, or later we're all going to be forty five and doing this, which means which, which, which means just through de facto people, you know, getting older and dying, we're going to be the ones to get to drive the car. That's right. And I, and I have enough people with licenses then who licenses now, then maybe I can go for a ride in the back seat, or maybe I'll even get to take the wheel. That's and right. Go somewhere. That's right. Okay. That's kind of it. I think so. I mean, obviously, there's there's a bunch of peripherals. And reasons to be satisfied or dissatisfied, but I think that's that's kind of it. I mean, as long as as you as you know what you're doing over over the short term, you can then Im start imagining a a midterm. Long term is unimaginable to me. I have no idea. Like, if you ask me, what would you like to be doing in in fifteen years? I don't. I don't even. I can't fifteen even... is long term for you. Fifteen is 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 uh, is long term enough that I have no idea. I mean. You know, this is true. And I don't mean no idea of, of where I will be, but no idea of where I want to be. Like, I don't, I cannot even think in those terms. At, at a very basic level, I'd li like to continue to be as content as I am with my family life and uh, having the time to hang out like I hang out and having the time to write the pieces that I want to write and, and being able to write what I want and all that kind of stuff. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it. Cool. You know, all right. Yeah. This is what it is. My pleasure, man. Okay. It's fun. <laughs>